Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm hanging in there, Bruce. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. And I was greatly encouraged tonight by just a fantastic hockey game. That really was an exciting hockey game. Back and forth. And the Oilers just playing great, playing great hockey. Um, they got a 3-2 win over the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, the great A shot for 15-15. So lots to talk about in this game. Bruce, what's your first good thing? Well, it's got to be Mikko Koskinen tonight. Uh, a lot of people did not expect him to be the starting goalie. It sounded like Skinner had the starters night of practice yesterday. And Skinner has, um, uh, you know, he's clearly progressed through the depth chart. Um but um, uh, Tippett, uh, who made some good decisions in this game, I will give Dave Tippett some credit right up front. And one of them clearly was to start uh, Mikko Koskinen and net. I don't suppose Edmonton would have won that game uh, without a superior game of net mining, and Mikko Koskinen gave him all of that. First period in particular, he made, what, four, like ten bell saves? It was like... Puck went over to the wing. Somebody blasted a one-timer just inside the post, and the big fin just flashed out a pad. I think he he made like four great saves with his left pad alone. Another one with the glove on the rebound where he grabbed a, a shot out of the air. And these were dangerous shooters that uh, uh, Vegas had going. They had 38 shots on net. Six of them came off the stick of Max Pacioretty. Uh, one of the deadlier scorers out there and has been for many years. None of those went in. Uh, five by Jonathan Marcheseau. None of those went in. Uh, and he was beaten by a, uh, a backhander by uh, uh, a very speedy Chandler Stevenson. I think that, that was actually not one of the real stronger shots Mikko faced. It was a great A chance, but you would expect him to get it. But Stevenson was going so fast and, and he just beat him to the inside post with a, with a backhand shot. And the other one was a complete fluke, really. Puck was bouncing around in the high slot, and four, people were whacking away at it. And Marcheseau took a whack at it, and he whacked it right off of Riley Smith's skate, and it popped off of Smith's skate right inside the post, just floated in, and was just one of those things. And at that point, you're thinking, or I'm thinking at least, uh-oh, you know, because there's still like 15 minutes or more on the clock. The three-nothing lead has dwindled to three-two, and Vegas is clearly coming on. And Koskinen came up with another few real nice stops in the next while. And then the Oilers, uh, to their credit, down the stretch, they fairly much uh, uh, clamped things down. It wasn't, like, perfect or anything. They had trouble clearing their own blue line at times, but they did do well in not giving up dangerous shots down the down the stretch of the game, and they were able to hang on for the 3-2 win. Uh, but that win never happens. I don't think they get a standings point uh, without an exceptional game of net mining from uh, Mikko Koskinen, who will be receiving a very high grade from me tonight. That uh, one-timer shot on the two-on-one by Pacioretty, oh. it just shows you what a great, to me, it shows what a great shooter Dreisaitl is. Mm-hmm. Because Leon would have buried that. He had oh, the maybe. whole... He had the whole net, and he's, like I'm sure he's kicking himself because he had the whole net, and he shot it at the goalie. And 
you know, Koskinen moved, but he also shot it at, at Koskinen. It wasn't to the post. He didn't he didn't okay. shoot it to the post. Leon would have had that a in. different one then. So there was yeah. one that was just inside the post, and I, I couldn't believe that Koskinen got all the way over to stop it. <clears throat> well, this is the two-on-one that was coming yeah. up the audience. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, Dreisaitl has taken, uh, uh, what is it, 23 one-timer shots this year. He's got 10 goals. 44% of his one-timer shots, Bruce, he's cashed in on. The ones that are on net. Which is the ones that are grade A shots, excuse me. The ones that turn out to be grade A shots, which are on right. net. Yeah. Almost always when he gets a one-timer, it's on net. So almost always. it's almost always a grade A shot, although not always. It, sometimes they're grade B if they're out from far outside. Anyway, it's grade A one-timer shots, 40, 44%, I think, go on the net, which is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Bruce, uh, you, yeah. I, I was my good thing is the way the Oilers shut it down at the end of the game. Right. Really impressive. In the third period, according to our count at least, preliminary, they just allowed two grade A shots, and one of them was a scramble play in front of the net that ended up on that backhander. And then there was um kind of a high one timer, high slot one timer. Cassian got deked and then Hyman didn't cover the shooter and there was a one timer shot. But other than that, those were the only one-timers, or excuse me, the only grade-A shots that I saw. So very, very good play by the Oilers down the stretch. I noticed at the end of the game, one shift Bouchard was out there, and the second shift Broberry was out there right at the end of the game. So again, the coach going with his young players right at the end of the game to uh, help you win it, and and they almost, uh, um, and they did. Vegas didn't threaten, and the Oilers almost scored. That was <laughs> I'd say that's not my bad thing, but it really isn't that bad a thing. But, you know, they almost got that dry settle, almost got that cheap point at the end. I'm always looking for the cheap points at the end for our superstar hockey players. But um, I was shocked that puck went all the way down. It looked yeah. like he just thumped it off. The, it was going to stop between the circles and Hyman was going to skate it into the net. And the damn thing just kept rolling. Frustrating. I got dry settle in my pool. So I, that was one that got away at that point. Yeah. But. So the Oilers against a pretty good Vegas team, that, which had Stone and Pacioretty back, um, were, were the best team on the night. They had the better goaltender on the night. You know, that's usually the team that wins, and that's the team that won tonight. What's your second good thing, Bruce? Yeah, I'm going to give an old-fashioned tip of the hat to um, Chris Russell, uh, Oilers defensive defenseman, who um, is uh, uh, was finally acknowledged tonight was something official that he's done, which is uh, set the all-time, if you consider back to 2005, all-time, because I didn't count this before then, the all-time record uh, for block shots uh, in the NHL. Uh, He broke the record held by Brent Seabrook, which was 1998. Uh, At 6.01 of the first period, he blocked a shot by uh, uh, Max Pacioretty. For 1999, and then at 614 of the same play, same power play, he blocked another shot by Max Pacioretty to hit the milestone 2000. So, right in the same shift, he broke the record and then hit the new, never before uh, seen threshold of 2000 block shots in, in his career. Now, I look at Chris Russell and I look at this list in the, of uh, defensemen in the NHL, and of all the D men in the NHL, he is the third lightest at 170 pounds, 
and he is at five foot ten, one inch taller than the shortest defenseman in the league. We've got Jared Spurgeon at five nine, one sixty six, that's smaller than Chris Russell. This is a tiny guy. He's always been like in the bottom three or five of the NHL for for uh, uh, height and weight. You know, you think a defensive defenseman, you think of big, big hulking guys uh, that uh, uh, get the job done. And I had the list up here a minute ago. Do I still have it? I don't. Sorry. Of the all-time uh, leaders, and they're all defensive defensemen, obviously, uh, uh, with with a couple of uh, of uh, surprising exceptions. This is good enough. Just give me a sec here. It's worth it. Anyway, Russell. I'm not sure he gets a lot of respect in this town. At least not from some corners. I know he does from others. Um, but yeah, here you go. Here's the here's the all-time leaders: Chris Russell, Brent Seabrook, Dan Girardi, Ron Hainsey, Duncan Keith. Now that surprised me. Uh, mind you, he's played more games than anybody else on this list. Andy Green, Mark Edward Velasic, Mark Giordano, Alex Edler, Brooks Orpik. Now some good players. That's a lot of real veteran players, and they've all played 900, 1,000, 1,100 games. Chris Russell's actually played the fewest at only. 890 games it took him to get his 2,000 block shots. And I know there's a popular um, interpretation out there that when you're blocking shots, that means the puck's in the other end and the other team's got it and they're firing at your net. Um, but when you're actually blocking them and preventing them from getting through, uh, it may be a minus one Corsi, but it's a minus zero Fenwick, if, uh, if you'll allow me to parse the difference. The shot doesn't get through to the netminder because the defenseman <coughs> shut down the lane, and took one for the team. Well, Chris Russell has taken 2,003 for his team at this point, and I think the little guy deserves a little bit of credit. And that aside, he is uh, now in his sixth year in, as an Oiler, uh, early days yet this season, but so far he is uh, easily, comfortably the best Oiler for fewest goals against per 60 minutes that he's on the ice, which he was last year which he was the year before, which he was the first year he was in Edmonton. He was second on the team one other year. Like he's all, you know, he prevents goals. He doesn't make a lot happen. He's definitely not a sexy player. He doesn't make a lot happen at the other end. But in terms of his job of playing defense, cutting out shooting lanes, competing against shots, um, those are all down and dirty details of the game. But I can tell you his teammates love him. And you could see it on one of the replays. They showed Koskinen going over to the bench during the TV timeout and singling out Russell and giving him a stick tap for making, a, you know, more saves on his behalf. So uh, it's not a guy we often will single out as a good thing, but I think tonight he definitely deserves it. Uh, well, one other thing on, on Russell, this road trip. Um Plus two, plus one, plus one on a difficult road trip where the Oilers had none of their starting three left defensemen from the beginning of the season. And they relied on Chris Russell, and he played 23, 23, 22 minutes, and the Oilers outscored the other team with him on the ice in all three games. So what more do you want? Yeah. Yeah. During the lockout, we heard NHL teams celebrate during the playoffs, especially when there was a block shot. You just hear benches yeah. explode in admiration. <laughs> For mm -hmm. players Sometimes, who block yeah. shots like Chris Russell does. Um, yeah. He's blocked. I can't imagine. Like two, I've blocked five shots in my barely 
career of Bruce. I regret every one of them. I saw you. Wish I hadn't gotten in the way of even one of those shots. <laughs> and he's blocked two thousand. And you Often know, I NHL think, player sticks. You know, this, if you live in the in an era with so-called advanced stats, which I don't think are advanced because I think they're as misleading as anything, like putting a lot of weight on Corsi. Chris Russell would have been framed in a different way all the way through. He would have been just seen as a, a super solid defensive defenseman that everyone really appreciated and loved. And, you know, what, what we track is mistakes on scoring chances against. He's consistently making the fewest, the, the lowest rate or the second lowest rate on the team, on the Oilers, which hasn't been a bad team since he's been here. It's been an okay team generally. So on an on a okay team generally, he's been a really solid defensive defenseman and and uh, I just really, I admire the player. And again, as I said in the last podcast, I'm glad he's having a little renaissance here. He's playing well again. He's looking like Chris Russell instead of a shadow of himself, which, is, which makes sense because he's healthy. He's getting healthier and he's he's playing better. Of course, as soon as he starts blocking more shots, he'll be less healthy. And <laughs> he had so he's had some defensive slumps because I think he gets pretty beat up. But this is a big time for him to be stepping up when you got all of Nurse, uh, Keith, Kukuk all injured. Uh, need I add, Oscar Tuffbaum also injured. Those are all left defensemen that the Oilers are paying and, and are expecting a lot out of. And uh, with all of them out of the picture, Chris Russell has stepped up. So, uh, you know, he's he's not going to fill the net with goals or points, but he keeps the puck out of the net, and he did that again tonight. My second good thing is Zach Hyman. <coughs> and, um, excuse me, I just thought he was fantastic tonight, especially the goal. I mean, <laughs> I remarked on this, I've remarked. His puck protection is second to no one on the Oilers. The way he shields the puck with the, with his body builds builds a wall. Dreisaitl mm-hmm. is fantastic at it, but Hyman is every, like he, he I think he takes it to a different level even. Okay. He's just incredible building that wall, getting his leg out there. Um, and on the goal, we saw that, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a play where a lot of players would have been not been able to get that shot off. They wouldn't have been able to fight off that defender, but he was able to do it. And the play was indicative of, of a night where he was just as always hustling like crazy, making all kinds of plays on the boards. Um, tonight he was involved in five straight eight chances, including, including two breakaways that he had. He three, actually, there was a semi breakaway on the power play that he had as well. So, just a fantastic game. He's just, uh, he's been everything that I hope Milan Lucic would be when he came to the Oilers in terms of a power forward mm-hmm. that Milan Lucic wasn't, and he, Hyman is. So, we're, Oilers are certainly getting tremendous value out of that player this year in a really key year for the Edmonton Oilers franchise. I thought he was great in this game. He worked his butt off the entire game. I don't know how many battles he was involved with. I don't know how many times he was pulling the puck, carrying it around behind the net, under pressure, uh, you know, taking whacks and hacks, which were going on uh, much of the game on both sides of the puck. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, 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 he had two clear-cut breakaways, scored on one, and was robbed by Robin Lehner on one. Uh, the orders in, in the game, they had, what, four clear breakaways in this game? Pugliarvi. Pugliarvi scored, and Hyman scored one out of two. Nuge had a breakaway where he couldn't score, but he did score on a two-on-one. It was a game where the Oilers' offense really came off the counterattack. 
but um, Hyman was, uh, he was busting butt. It was too bad in the dying seconds. Uh, I thought he was going to get another breakaway on the empty net, but uh, Leon's little wall pass just kept going behind the icing line. Couldn't quite overtake it, but he uh, he certainly deserved uh, the one goal that he did get in this game. Six shots on net uh, for Hyman. He also led the team with four hits. He also led the team with two takeaways. So that's a guy who's playing with and without the puck and, you know, leading the team in three very disparate categories. Bruce, what is your bad thing? Yeah, hard to find too much bad. Even there, there was a lot of chaos in this game. Uh, I'm reluctantly going to single out uh, Connor McDavid, uh, defensive play, uh, right off the start of the game, losing uh, the puck behind his own net to uh, 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 Mark Stone uh, for a great Vegas chance, what, 20 seconds into the game, maybe 20 seconds. And uh, uh, there was, that was the first of a little stream of mistakes in the, in the first period. And, and he was far from the only culprit for sure, but he was on the wrong side of the puck. Uh, uh, more than once he was late back to cover another guy who got a great shot from the slot. Should have been a goal. Koskinen made a fantastic save. Um, and, uh, uh, he was also uh, among the culprits on the admittedly lucky goal that Vegas got to cut the lead to 3-2, where several Oilers got beaten in the slot uh, to a puck that really they should have had. They had the numbers there. At least they were in position, but they just couldn't win the puck battle. So uh, as captain, he gets to wear the mantle of uh, of uh, of uh, defensive breakdowns that uh, cost the team a little bit. And again, I'll say he wasn't alone. And uh, uh, there's, um, uh, uh, what can you say? Warriors won. Despite zero points from McDavid or Drysaddle, this is a very rare event that by and large needs to be celebrated. I mean, 15 grade A shots against, there's lots of players who make mistakes. (laughs) tonight on the Edmonton Oilers that led to grade A shots against, right, and could have mm-hmm. resulted in goals against. But those two early ones by McDavid were, you know, they're those are tough early in the game. That's uh, the time that they I say they're think. supposed to be bearing down, and it hasn't been happening. And, you know, that's, you, you, you want your leaders to be setting the positive example out of the gate. My bad thing is another mistake on another, uh, just one grade A scoring chance, but it was the Oilers were up 2 nothing. And they get a, a, a quite a nifty little offensive chance, and the puck goes to Ryan McLeod. He looks like he's got a great chance to score. Yeah. And what does he do? He relays the puck quickly Bad. off Evan Bouchard's skate, and that that allow what is it a two on one? Was that three it? on one? It was a three, three on one. Full out three on one. And a five alarm shot results from it. They were so lucky not to get scored on on that play. Yeah. And they could have scored easily. So it's like a double whammy that he, he made there. And it's the second time he's done it. And about the last week, he he put a power play pass back to Bouchard that, that was really handcuffed Bouchard. Bouchard's probably thinking, like, what does this guy have against me? Like, what, did I do something to him in Bakersfield two years ago? <laughs> because he's it's twice he's given him hand grenades. And um, anyway, McLeod's just got to take that shot and... Of course, yeah. he realizes that now, and they'll be pointing that out to him on the video replay. But man, 
I think he realized it while he was skating to the bench. After, yeah. first of all, giving Koskin a big tap on the pass, pads for saving his bacon on that three-on-one with a great stop. But uh, just a little bit, let's say a lot, too fancy on a play where they'd made two great passes. It was tic-tac-toe. Memo to Ryan McLeod. When you're the toe, that means you're the shooter. Shoot the puck. And if a quick shot there, if it's on the net, there's a high probability of finding the target because the goalie was scrambling across. And even if he'd hit Bouchard with a perfect pass, I don't think Bouchard would have had an easier shot than McLeod already had. So there was really nothing to gain from doing anything but let fly. And, you know, there, there's... I admire players who are unselfish, but there are times to just be selfish and take the shot. Yeah. That, that's a lesson Wayne Gretzky learned early in his career. That un, most unselfish player in league history, more assists than everybody else has points, all that stuff. But in his early years in Edmonton, Gretzky learned the best player position in a player in best position to take the shot should take the shot. And if that happens to be him, he's going to take it. And he put in a few 70, 80, 90 goal seasons on top of his ridiculous assist totals because he was just selfish enough to be the, to take the shot when he was a guy in best position. Yeah. And something Ryan McLeod has to learn. He's not Wayne Gretzky. I don't expect him to be Wayne Gretzky, but I do expect him to learn that there are times when just firing that puck on net is, uh, is the uh, is the best play? Yes, don't, you don't score on 100% of the shots you do not take. Okay, uh, okay. my bad. Okay, like we, we did my bad thing there. Uh, I well, I want to say that line was good though. I, I like mm-hmm. that line. Okay. And, uh, Fogel and Pulleyarvia. It's two tall guys and uh, Fogel out there, and they're they're flying. All right, your number. Uh, my number is zero. And that has to do with the number of goals against allowed by that third line in the two games since Yasapoliarvi got demoted to it. Some people see it as a demotion. I personally saw it as an assignment. This third line's been bleeding out on goals against. They were losing every game. It seemed like they weren't scoring and they were giving up at least one against. And since Yasa moved into the to right wing on that line, uh, They've had a lot sounder defensive play, uh, given up relatively little in the way of chances, no goals whatsoever. And tonight they wound up plus one because Yusa scored himself on a uh, breakaway on a counterattack off some good defense. And, and uh, he saw the hole and got behind the Vegas defense and uh, made it count. That was a game winner as well. But uh, having the third line actually win a game uh, you know, their portion of a game has been a very rare thing for the Oilers this year. And even just to have them keep the other team off the score sheet is uh, is a rare enough thing. And so uh, we'll give the third line credit for the zero, but I'm specifically singling out Yesipuliarvi, who, since he moved into that spot, uh, has, seems to have stabilized that line. I don't mind him there at all. Like, as, you know, as long as he's getting... He got 14 minutes of ice time today that, you know, you, you wouldn't want to see him get less than that. Six shots uh, on that. Six shots on that. Yeah. The, the, you know, it's you can switch your lines around. It's not forever. See how it goes. See what you mm-hmm. can do. See what looks. They needed to solve that problem. It's killing them. And you can't yes. put Cal Turris there. 
you know, you got to find someone you can play there. So Cole Yarvey's a good bet. I mean, he and McLeod flying around out there, like these two gigantic men, you know, with huge wingspans, incredible speed. It's like an aircraft carrier, two aircraft carriers out there in there mm-hmm. on the uh, South Pacific cruising. It's it's hard to get by those guys on the forecheck. And Fogel is a bulldozer of yeah. a man. So I like that line. And they can all skate. They can all skate. So oh. nothing wrong with that line. It caused a lot of chaos on the forecheck. And I thought the dynamite line was good tonight as well. All four lines were good tonight. Um, <clears> one of the rare times you can say that for the Oilers season, the fourth line was good. They didn't get much ice time, but they were good. They didn't give up anything to speak of. So Bruce, my number is 23-34. And in his fourth game with the Edmonton Oilers, Philip Broberry. 23-34 to lead all Oilers in ice time <laughs> in the game. So he was the number one D-man in Bakersfield. Yep. <clears throat> now he played like the number one D-man in terms of time on ice tonight for the Edmonton Oilers, although it was close with CeCe and Russell. Right there. Uh, getting a lot of ice time. Mm-hmm. Who else? Uh, anyone else? Uh, Barry had 20 minutes. Barry had 20 and Bouchard 18. <clears throat> so now Broberry didn't do great necessarily great with that ice time he made six major mistakes on grade a chances against you know including he got walked by jose not is it not jose uh, shea theodore in the second (laughs) early in the second and then there was a not jose shea and then and then there was a just imagining in in my head jose theodore dangling around the philip program And later in the second, there was a play where the he was out for a long, long, long shift. And by the end of it, he was just in a haze. He was in the red light zone where Yanni Pitkinen played most of his career, not covering anyone and not blocking a passing lane right. as the as they were getting a grade A chance. Uh, that was the play where CC went to center ice to dump it in and his stick got broke at yeah. center ice. And then the play came back at them, and, and they needed to get the change. They really needed to get that puck deep. Yeah. So Broberry had already been out there for a while. I don't know how long the shift was, but it was long. And then when they came back, and, and CeCe decided about halfway back that, no, I'm just going to go off and let somebody with a stick come out and replace me. And who comes out but William Lagason? So now you have two lefty uh, defensemen. Uh, both of whom were in Bakersfield like last week. Now, both trying to fend off uh, uh, a swarming Vegas attack with uh, at least Lagason had fresh legs. Broberry was dead on his feet and he was uh, he was showing the lactic acid. He was just kind of standing around and not able to do a whole lot about it. And again, Koskinen stood tall and... Uh, he had a few hairy moments like that, and that certainly was one of them. So Broberry looked good. At, like, he looked good at times in this game. He, he made did. some plays, passed the puck well. He's looking good. But he did he did make six major mistakes on grade-A mm-hmm. shots against. And and what did we say a few games ago? That this is going to – this is yep. completely expected. What do I make of that? a game like that? It's just completely expected. It's going to happen. You're going to thrust a rookie into a number one D-man role in the NHL, and this is what's going to happen again and again and again. And the good news is, you know, Darnell Nurse will be back sooner than later. Um, Cuckoo will be back, and and Philip Roberry will probably be... That will be interesting, because we we now see he can play a third-pairing role 
uh, in Edmonton and, and get by probably. Mm-hmm. But do you want him? In, you know, you have Chris Russell, who's who's really playing well now, and Slater Cuckoo, who is a good, you know, a decent third pairing D man. So we'll see. But you know, every time Elliot Freeman bursts rumors about what the Oilers need, he always mentions a left shot D man. I mean, if, if Philip Robery comes up and can be that player, then you don't have to make that trade. No. So maybe, no. maybe they should stick with him. For a month, even when Nurse comes back, stick with him in the third pairing role um, for a for a month or so. Give him fifteen games and see if he's ready this year. I I don't know. It's a it's a it's an interesting call. We'll know more, and he'll we'll we'll see him in a few more games before uh, Nurse comes back. So we'll know more then. Well, the theory was they'd rather have him playing first minute first pairing minutes in Bakersfield. And getting 20-plus minutes a game as opposed to being third-pairing and getting 10 minutes a game in Edmonton. Well, he's been here, what, a week? And he's getting first-pairing minutes and, as you say, leading the team in ice ice time. It's gone up every game. I think it's gone 15, 18, 21, 23, something like that. Who knows where it goes next game. Yeah. He, he clearly has the, the, uh, uh, the tools to be a big minute muncher. And it's yeah. easy to project he's going to be one down the road. Because uh, when the play is under control, when he's got it on, on his stick and so on, he's, he's almost languid in his movements and and, and uh, uh, just, you know, really skates under control. At least he did in this game. But his problems came when Vegas had the puck and just reacting to some of the, these uh, flurries of activity around him and some of the weird bounces and and so on. And... and um, some of that, I mean, some of that will will cause trouble for any defenseman. Like, you never make it all go away, but uh, uh, he'll learn from this experience, I'd like to think. And uh, I see tonight's game as being a, a, a positive for him, despite the the moments of chaos. Just get, getting those big minutes against a tough divisional foe and co- coming out with the victory and doing his part in that, in that uh, down-the-stretch where they made that 3-2 lead stand up and, and basically held uh, uh, Vegas to uh, not very many dangerous chances down the stretch. Brovery played some of those minutes as well. He's fitting in. I agree that overall it was a positive. He hung in there. And none of them, like, other than the Theodore getting walked, you know, other than, other than that, none of the mistakes, they're all kind of situational where the game just seemed to move for a, a second or two a bit too fast for him sometimes when he was fatigued. So, um, completely expected and not a big deal, but yeah, I've liked what I've seen. I've really liked what I've seen. So, all right, Bruce, why don't we leave it there for tonight? You got to get right in your grade game grade. So, sure all right. Thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>